Welcome to The Edge, the official podcast of Bass Edge, brought to you by the world's leading underground construction equipment company, Ditchwitch, proud to support the sports you love. I'm Steve Brigman, and I'm joined by the host of Bass Edge Television, Aaron Martin. Aaron, what do we have on tap for today? Oh, we have another great show, Steve. Michael Murphy, FLW up-and-coming angler on the science of fishing. And a little bit later, Mark Tucker will be coming on board to talk about, guess what, changing weather conditions. Good stuff. Let's get it started. Get her like that, with boy. Good job. I don't know of any other sport that offers the challenge of bass fishing today. Oh, did you see yes, that? Yes, I saw that. That was awesome. <laughs> Watch for the fish to pace the bait. What do you think of that, huh? Yeah. That's full contact fishing right Man. there. You're listening to The Edge, the official audio program of Bass Edge. Man, Aaron, spring weather is usually pretty wacky, but I don't remember such a crazy spring. Wow, <laughs> and and your memory goes back to the last ice age, Steve. You call me Dave, man. <laughs> no, no, no. I don't. Well, maybe. I mean, which one of us is more likely to get a spot on the guy? <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess that's that's uh, better than being a gecko. I guess so. Um, but no, seriously, <laughs> right, I don't have the British accent. Yeah, that's, that's right. But no, I mean, don't you think though that sometimes you know we're going to hear it a little bit later from Mark Tucker, uh, who will go into detail on this. But you know, I've often thought that too many times anglers react, overreact to a weather situation because quite frankly there's a lot of other things that come into play with what the fish are doing. Well you know last week we talked about this that you know water temperature does tend to change you know relatively slow especially the deeper the fish the slower the temperature is changing and of course there's there's pressure in there and weather is a huge factor in the spring and we can kind of get locked into these you know like I know you're a big log keeper and you can go back and look at your log, and there's a lot of value in there. But, you know, you can't get locked into that because it has been such a late spring here for us in the Ozarks and, and, and around the country. But there's a lot of other things that drive these changing conditions of uh, bass. Well, no question. And just to touch on a couple of those, think of it like this. I mean, we're right here, depending on what part of the country that you're in, at least the part that, that we are in here in the Midwest, you know, spring is knocking on the door. You've got that spawn issue that comes up. That urge or that tendency for bass, that's that's pretty overpowering. And then when you kind of throw in, you know, photo period, which obviously we've talked about before, and, and that's the length or the amount of daylight. And, you know, there's things like that that can be overbearing beyond just what the weather is doing, whether it be the wind or the pressure or things like that. Well, that's a good point that you made about a photo period. And then, and then of course, the moon phases, the monthly moon phases come in here because, you know, we know that bass, as cold-blooded animals, are driven as to how much energy they use and how many calories they require by the temperature of the water. But this time of year, we've got that kind of that other little factor in there that these fish are... Uh, in a pre-spawn, and they have a requirement to build up calories for the spawn, and the day length of the photo period, like you said, is something that sort of triggers that sort of spawning instinct. So I believe that they're going to eat a little more even when water temperature doesn't dictate that they need more calories. Well, and to take that a step further, just think about, you know, the forage that they're feeding on. Those are cold-blooded as well. So therefore, as that water begins to warm up, they're going to become more active. Their metabolism is increasing. And also, don't forget, 
this past week we just had a full moon you know the moon phase dictates a lot of times what's going on so it's beyond just the weather and even though it seems like um, what is going on above the surface level there's a lot of other things that's coming into play uh, with regards to what those bass are doing underneath. Yeah, but, you know, given all these complications, you can still catch an awful lot of fish this time of year, no matter what the weather is. Well, I agree, and I, I don't want to overcomplicate this, because too many times I think we can get into the situation where we're trying to read too much into it and, and lose the uh, the lure, pardon the pun, but, you know, of, of what fishing is about, which is the experience going out there, putting things together, and, and trying to fit those pieces of the puzzle to where we can still, you know, have a great day on the water, even though the, the weather might be a little bit uh, surprised as far as what we had originally planned for. The kind of wacky weather that we've had does sort of bring, there's some advantages, you know, if you if you work and analyze and understand the conditions that, uh, you know, you can you can let a lot of this play to your advantage. You know, I know one very simple thing is the wind. You know, we get a very, very strong wind. Uh, this will tend to move bait around, blow, blow shad into uh, coves against certain banks, and... Uh, you know, it's 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 the hardest bank to fish with the boat, but by gosh, that, that tends to be where the bait is. Well, no question. I think if you look at the wind per se, one of the things that you can do right off the bat is, you know, typically this time of year, you're looking for areas that are protected from that north wind. Um, you know, those are going to be areas that will warm up first. We've spoken about before, if you look for um, those staging areas, because we know that the fish are going to be grouped up, that when you do get a cold front situation or it's cold during the night and maybe that it's going to warm up as the day goes on, areas that I look for high percentage and that's going to warm up first, possibly are going to be those areas that are holding those big, you know, dark colored rocks and boulders uh, that's going to put off heat, it's going to pull that, um, you know, zooplankton and stuff in to where the, the bait fish move in to feed on that. Well, guess what? You know, the bass are going to follow that. You're going to have crayfish amongst the rocks already. Right. So um, combination there is going to be a win-win. That's so true. How many fish have we caught early in the morning on the show on boat ramps that just seem to kind of warm up, attract the bait, attract the fish? Oh, no question. And I mean, you know, it, it's kind of like uh, what we always say with boathouses, you know, those docks and, and duck blinds and things like that, that's just an obvious piece of structure that you never want to go past. And uh, certainly, you know, that concrete on a boat ramp goes all the way down into the water. And uh, it's just a great area, a great ambush point. A lot of times they have a, have a washout from where people are trying to, you know, load their motors and uh, creates that, that ditch. So there's a lot of factors that come into play. Of course, our tournament guys and our guides, they really can't choose when they go fishing. But if you can kind of pick and choose when you fish this time of year and you can hit those pre-front conditions when we have a dropping pressure, I just really think it's the, a, a much better time to fish than once the front's gone. No question. And, you know, the other thing is is that, you know, when you have that change in pressure, by downsizing, that's still another way that you can attract a response from a, otherwise, you know, maybe a bass that's not feeling well, that's seeking out that comfort that's moving up and down in that water column on those steeper banks. So the, the fish are still going to feed. It just might be that the reaction uh, to what you're offering is not going to be the same or that that strike zone is actually going to reduce a little bit. Aaron, when I lived in North Texas, I used to love to go fishing at Lake Fork on a Saturday afternoon when the Cowboys were playing. 
because I would tend to have the lake to myself. And it's kind of the same thing with bad weather. You, you know, when you go out on a bad day, you can sort of have the lake to yourself, and that's 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 nice thing. I enjoy being out by myself. Oh, I agree. When you look at, and at the end of the day, and you look at your results, you realize, man, am I ever glad that I made that decision and just realize what everybody else missed in the meantime. But the other thing is, too, you know, Steve, I think safety always has to be a number one concern and priority. Absolutely. Of course, the high winds, uh, you know, make travel on the water more dangerous. The water's very cold. You know, if you fall in, I mean, when it's real cold, I'll fish in a life jacket. I know that's not cool, but I tell you what, hypothermia is extremely dangerous. And if you happen to be out by yourself and you fall in the water, it's life-threatening. So, man, live to fish another day. You know, I see they canceled another BASS day this week, and there's been some more tournaments canceled around the the country. And and I tell you, I'm proud of those organizations for doing the right thing for safety. To me, there is no... Uh, compromise when it comes to that and they are the, the tournament organizers and the marshals you know are putting their their lives at risk and and those of others and quite frankly you know their first and foremost concern is our safety that's right that's a good point hey Aaron, at least you felt some warm weather <laughs> yeah i did i got to experience some high wind too but uh, no i was down at texas uh, there for the uh-huh. o'reilly 300 at the texas motor speedway had a just a fantastic time and let me throw out and, and say i just want to thank everybody and there was a ton of people that came by the booth um, but had a lot of neat things that happened I hung out with uh, the folks from o'reilly's and superstar batteries and man what a weekend steve well, I'm jealous. You know, I, I of course, uh, that's near my old home. I have a lot of friends down there. But I went last year and had such a good time, and, and it's always great just to get out amongst the folks. And I know you guys had a good time down there. Boy, we did. And, you know, speaking of good time, we've, our next interview is, is one that I look forward to because it's with Michael Murphy, who is really a, a pro on the FLW Tour, but he brings a little bit different twist than normal in the fact that he actually has a fisheries degree. And um, so he's going to talk a little bit about the science of fishing and talk about the different areas of the water column and kind of break that down in the scientific format. So that should be good. I've been looking forward to this interview. Let's slip away for a very short break, and we'll be right back with Michael Murphy. You've got the truck. You've got the toys. Now it's time to get the hitch that gives you more time to play with both. It's the toe and stow receiver hitch by B&W. You want options? Select the ball size, adjust the height to level the trailer, or stow it out of the way in just seconds. It's 10,000 towing pounds worth of durability, convenience, and the latest technology that has made B&W famous. The Tow and Stow Receiver Hitch by B&W. Call 1-866-BEST-HITCH. Welcome back to The Edge. Brought to you in part by Ditch Witches On. Establishing a new standard in trencher power and versatility. All right, welcome back. And joining us for today's Angler Spotlight is FLW Touring Pro, and that is Michael Murphy. Michael, thanks so much uh, for being part of The Edge. I appreciate it, Aaron. Thanks for having me. When you look at the topic that we're getting ready to cover, uh, it can be a little bit technical. 
However, um, you bring an interesting, I guess, kind of background to that topic, and the, and the topic is on science of fishing, obviously, but your background really sets you up well to be able to talk about that, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. I have a fisheries and aquatic science degree from Purdue University, and I've done everything from food diet research to a crawfish study, and so it kind of allows me to have a full spectrum, and I, I guess that's really what I've leaned on at being so young uh, to get me to where I'm at today, and you know, it, I'm kind of an, I'm actually an, am an analytical fisherman. I don't want to say kind of, and it's hurt me and helped me. But uh, as I progress forward, I've uh, I've known when to kind of really apply it and when just to just go fishing, and that's where it has helped me to get today, uh, get to where I'm at today, and and it's been definitely beneficial. Let's talk about those times that you have applied it and it's paid dividends. There's an interesting way that you break down maybe the water column, maybe. Uh, you know the techniques that you're approaching why don't you start there and, and we'll see where it takes us yeah i like to keep things real simple and i've noticed in my classes i was like really the only guy one of few people that you know fish tournaments real heavily so you know when they explain things i would constantly be making notes on the side of my notepad that had nothing to do with class of how it applied to me out in the field and i, I really was in it for uh, alternate measures and and what I've noticed was a pretty uh, strong trend of what fish do at specific key temperatures as well as uh, specific, you know, key times of the year within the water column. And there, there's different things I can go in. I can go into temperature. I can go into movement. But we'll talk about the simple part of water column is a lot of people know, you know, different times of the year, you know, fish will move up in the spring. They'll spawn. They'll move out in the summer. They might school up a little bit. And then the fall, some of them will move back in and you can catch them, you know, around shad. Um, and that's real basic. And a lot of people, you can pretty much, uh, you know, key that in just by, you know, looking at the fishing boards now. The Internet's, you know, so readily available. But the whole key is is breaking down the water column to both for, vertical and horizontal. And a lot of people, you know, the vertical side is a real obvious side. You know, you look at the top part of the water column, you got buzz baits, you got top waters, you got skimmers, and, you know, you got all sorts of stuff you can do. You got the middle water column, you got jerk baits, you got crank baits, you know, when fish are suspended. And then you got the bottom water column, in which is jigs and drop shots. And people know these things, but how do they apply it? Because I have people come to me all the time, it's like, well, I'm not a good crankbait fisherman. I don't even know where to start. Well, if you if you know this simple concept of where fish are at, I like to follow the general thumb. It doesn't really matter what you're throwing, as long as you're throwing it in a good area. Because if you're in a good area, fish are going to be concentrated. Fish are going to be more aggressive. They're going to be dumber. They're not going to look at the aspects of the bait as more so as if they were more scattered. Now, it does matter to have good quality baits, good hooks, and, and definitely have something you have confidence in. But to break that down in the top, middle, bottom, you can break it down and go one step further to where you can be at the top of the top column, the middle of the top column, and the bottom of the middle column. And that could be the difference of throwing a buzz bait or a spinner bait or a swim bait or like a jerk bait. You know, that's the top, middle, bottom right there. Or you can go the middle of the water column. Maybe like the top of the, you know, top of the middle would be like a jerk bait. Or maybe even the middle of the middle would be a jerk bait. But then you got different levels of crank baits where you got deep divers and shallow divers and mid-depth divers. And that's be your bottom of the middle column and the middle of the, uh, the middle column. Then you got the bottom column. You got stuff that, uh, you know, the top of the bottom column, there's really not a top. They're kind of the top and middle kind of blend together to with like drop shots and jig and spoons. It's just a matter of how high you fish stuff off the bottom. And that still applies. Are they, are they, uh, 
you know, three feet off the bottom on a drop shot, or are they two feet off the bottom, or are they right on the bottom? Do you have to, you know, fish a jig on, on the bottom, or do you want to hop it, or do you want to crawl it? So those aspects all play together. But if you look at it, you know, there's there's a lot of key baits that have been real popular lately, like swim baits, you know, jerk baits, and jigs. And the reason that is. And even spoons lately. It's the reason those is is because those are so effective in covering the whole water column. Like I can take a jerk bait and cover you know multiple water columns. And same thing with a jig or a, a swim bait. And the whole key is covering multiple water columns and finding baits that you can effectively cover those water columns. Now when you turn around and approach those to the horizontal movements, that's really what tells you where the fish are at. The vertical movement is tells you how to approach the fish. The horizontal movement would be more separated into like the three scale again, but I call it points, bends, and dead ends. And you can separate those again, just like what like I did with the top, middle, bottom, is I can separate those into the point of the point, which would be the very tip of it, which is where they sit in the middle of the summer or the cold winter months, and there may be a brush pile out there, or they could be on the, the bends of the point, there could be on the which would be like the sides of the point, um, or they could be on the dead end of the point, which could be like a pocket right at the point. Or they could be on the bends. It could be on the bend of the bend, which are most current flow. It could be like a river channel. Or they could be on the dead end of the bend, which would be like a bluff end, like where there's a lot of rock to pea gravel transition or rock to clay. A lot of, a lot of good areas where crayfish move. Or it can be on the point of the bend, like where there's a rock slide of that sort. Or if you're looking at the dead end, it could be the point of the dead end, which would be like a real subtle point, like a real flat point, a little grass point right in the back of the pocket. Or it could be the bend of a dead end, which is the last deep water, maybe a staging area, or literally the dead end of the dead end, which is a ditch. And the same thing is you'll find different baits work in different areas. You get to the dead end of the dead end. It may be hard to throw certain baits, but where you think outside the box is a lot of people laugh because I'll throw a drop shot in less than a foot of water. Um, a lot of times on cruising fish or that sort. And people are like, well, why are you doing that? I'm like, well, because I know they're kind of on the bottom water column, but they're in the dead ends of the dead ends, or the bends of the dead ends, and it, it, it fits my punted square or my way of uh, approaching things, which is outside of the box, but it fits the program. And that's what I kind of put together in college that's really helped me to get on fish within a day. You know, taking that information, because what you just said makes so much sense, but there's a lot of it there um, that all, every single one of us can apply to our day on the water. How do you know what uh, area, you know, to look at in the water column or speaking like the dead ends or the, you know, the, the middle, you know, section of the water column? Are you using electronics? Are you doing map study as far as giving you a starting point? Uh, what is your, your basis there? Well, the basis, uh, and then the, this is another scientific answer I'm going to have to give you, is I would like to use the temperature, uh, the rule of five. And you literally look at 45, 55, 65, and 75 degree temperatures. I'm not 100% on temperature. Temperature is a guideline. But if you break it down to 45 degrees, uh, those fish are going to be suspended and more towards the deeper water. 55 degrees, they're going to be real close to their spawning areas. 65 degrees, they're going to be spawning, post-spawn. Some are possibly going to be on their way back out to the areas of summer areas. And 75 degrees, they're usually in their summer areas by then. So you can use uh, those rule of fives. Now, if you have a rule of zero, zero is a transition temperature. Those temperatures can make it kind of tough. Now, what will be the variance of that? Rule of zero meaning 40, 50, 60? Correct. 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, or even 90. 80 and 90, not so much. But those in-between temperatures, ex with the exception of 60, you can pretty much count that they're all shallow at that point, is, is it transition temperatures, and specifically 50 and 70, 
um, are transition temperatures where the fish can scatter and you, you constantly hear people struggling around those temperatures because those, those fish are coming from point A to point B. So what that does is that gives me a starting point. I look at the temperature, I look at, okay, what are they doing? But you also got to know, is it a warming trend? Is it a cooling trend? Was the water warm? Did it get cold? Was the water cold? Is it just now getting warm? So that'll tell you what the fish have been doing. You know, they could have already moved shallow. Let's say it's it's been 55 and then the cold front came and now it's 48, well, they could already move shallow, and they're already there. So you need to go ahead and start there like it's still 55, but just, you know, slow it down a bit to catch those same fish. But the thing is, there's going to be multiple patterns working at all times. There's going to be main lake patterns. There's going to be uh, backwater patterns, and those are those are two different kinds of fish. you got, you know, I like to call river fish, and I like to call lake fish. Sometimes there's an overlap, and that's why I call funnel feeders. Funnel feeders are typically the fish that win tournaments. They're, they live in deep water, but feed in real shallow. Um, schoolers, you know, they live deep all year round. They even spawn in deep water. They typically have a lot of competition. Uh, when you find them, they're pretty same size, but a lot of times they don't get real big. Uh, shallow water fish, it's pretty common. If you go fishing up a river, you're going to catch a lot of dinks and one great big one. Um, they're real influctuant in size. But those funnel feeders, they seem to be the schoolers, but they live deep and they don't have to move but two tail swipes away to feed shallow. And there's a lot of overlap of crayfish and shad in those areas of lakes. And those are usually your bigger fish. But those fish, all three of those fish I explained, some lakes don't have those kind of fish. They may not have shallow fish or may not have deep fish. So you got to look at what kind of lake it is because every lake's different. So you got to look at what lake it is, what you like to do, most important of all, that it gives you confidence that, you know, is in your comfort zone that you're going to go out and enjoy catching fish on, and then apply the concept. It's, and that's where I've learned that it's not always an exact science. They are fish. They are unpredictable, and it is fishing. Um, but it's helped me to give me a starting point. You know, and I think as anglers, we have to have a starting point. How much you know do you place confidence into where you start or what you're doing uh, throughout the course of your day? Because you know that's really what it comes down to. If we can have a starting point, whether it be one that isn't working or one that we can build on, but you know the intimidation factor is where do we start? Right, and that's where it really gives me confidence. And this sport is 100% mental and 100% confidence. And you know we were talking earlier. You know last year I was riddled with injury, and there's a lot of emotional and physical aspects going on and my confidence was shot I, I wouldn't I wouldn't fall in my system I was just kind of just going through the motions and you know uh, this year started out kind of rough but I know it's going to end good but you got to fish with confidence you, you know you that's the whole thing if you can have confidence in what you're doing and I have confidence in what I'm doing I, you know, I went to college for it and it gives me a, a starting point even if it's absolutely wrong I've got confidence because I've, I've got a theory, I've, I've got, it's, it's worked with me many, many times and it's never failed me. So starting out with confidence, if something's not working, then I got to go back to my notes. Something it, it, I'm missing. And notes are very, very important. I see guys that, that are very inconsistent, they don't take good notes. The guys that are very consistent take very good notes. And notes are the key and, and it gives you a starting point and then when you fish a lake, uh, the first time out there has always been rough for me, being a new guy out here. But the second and third time I go back, I consistently get better and better. And that's where your notes just pile up. And you take good notes. It gives you a starting point. And if, if there's something not working, you go back to the drawing board. That's what practice is for. Well, Michael, 
Again, great information. Thank you so much for your time. We look forward to talking with you again in the very near future, and best of luck in the upcoming season. Well, Aaron, I appreciate the opportunity anytime. Look forward to it. Power. Productivity. Speed. It's the best trencher ever made. Not to mention the best plow. Dumper, tiller, backhoe, stump grinder, and tool carrier ever made. The Zahn, the revolution, is here. Hi, I'm James Niggemeyer, and you're listening to The Edge. Man, I enjoyed that interview, and, and I love talking about, you know, the science of fishing. Yeah, you know, Steve, I really think about the fact that, like you've said before, we don't want to make this more difficult than what it is, but we can't really oversimplify it either. And I I, I look at it from the standpoint that Michael's interview it was very, very good. And by taking and being exposed to that type of information, what we're able to do is when we're out on the water, if we can develop uh, those habits, then all of a sudden we're basically we're making decisions and reacting to the conditions but yet we're not having to go back and say okay well what do i need to do under this circumstance what do i need to do under this one but rather just take that information and react accordingly well that is so true because listening to him you know there's some things in there he was talking about that that i know and i see guys do very instinctively or just do from experience you know years or you know it's in their log year after year that, uh, you know, they don't, maybe they're not necessarily looking at it in such a biological way, but what they have learned through the years is all about these same biological principles. And understanding those a little more just adds a little, just adds a little more ammunition to the tackle box. Well, and my preference is, you know, I like to know why. I mean, it's not always that, you know, you've got to go back and you have time to make those decisions. But if we can use our days on the water, whether they be just a recreational day or a practice day or what have you, to really give some thought about our next course of action, that ultimately helps us make better decisions in the future. And, you know, we have a segment on the show that's called In the Zone. And I think part of, you know, that cliche of being in the zone for any sport and especially fishing is just when all of that comes together you know you have the science you have the mental the emotional everything the fundamental skills all meet at the same time and those are the days that uh man i tell you what you will remember for a lifetime right you know having that kind of enhanced understanding sort of gives me confidence i don't know about you but it's it just seems like about the time I think I've got the fish figured out, they pull a fast one on me, and I'm sitting there shaking my head, wondering why I can't catch any fish. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I've been there many, many times. But, uh, no, hats off to Michael for a great interview, and uh, certainly wish him the best of luck in the upcoming season. Yeah, that's one of those interviews I will go back and listen to a few more times at least. But, Aaron, you and I were talking the other day, and you were telling me how much you love to fish bluff pockets this time of year and of course we live here in a highland lake uh, or near a highland lake and you fish table rock a lot i want you to share with the folks what you're talking about with a bluff pocket and why they're such a favorite of yours oh absolutely and you know this is something that really can be applied across across the nation and you know if you think about a lot of the reservoirs a lot of the river systems um a lot of these lakes have 
where the river channel maybe goes for I don't know half mile mile, um, and, and it basically it's it's a very steep in in the, this case obviously it's a bluff, but to where it's a, a very steep vertical structure maybe has some ledges you know that come off of it, but bottom line it's it's deep water and and again deep is a relative term, but if you think about that going back to you know bass needs food needs security needs comfort and of course this time of year, you know, you have the spawning factor that comes into play. Well, by looking at those long stretches of water, there are bass and there are fish that roam those areas. And just by looking at it, maybe at a map or idling down along a bluff line, you will see ravines or ditches or rock slides that yeah, come off. Yeah, guys call them cuts in the Ozark. Exactly, exactly, that come off of that. So those are high percentage targets and what happens is that provides those those washes or those cuts or those those pockets provides some shallow water but yet it's adjacent to deep water so they don't have to swim you know several hundred yards as the pressure changes to seek out that comfort and if the bait is present which it is because you can use your electronics to find that out then what you have is basically a high percentage area to where the fish will be grouped up and oftentimes those are overlooked instead of having to you know go in there and pound the banks and the backs of the creeks with everybody else you target these bluff pockets and you can just go right down the you know this bluff line and you might have four or five spots that's getting overlooked by everybody else well that, that's so true and of course i know you like these in the spring of the year but they can also produce some very good summer structure you know when these we have some very large boulders that fall into the water and can, can create some places to hold bait and hold uh, make good ambush spots and, and hold fish during the summer and the fall so these are all good spots i thought another good point you just made was that this kind of information does apply to lakes other than our highland lakes and i think you kind of have to take the perspective well for example you know here in in our ozark lakes you know a drop-off can you know can be 40 50 60 feet deep that we're fishing but in some more you know in louisiana and some lakes just a foot or two can have that same effect as a drop-off or a hump or structure. Well, sure. I mean, you know, you just look at it from the standpoint, you go down to the Red River, you know, you've got the, basically you've got the river system, but then you have all the oxbows uh, that come off of that. You go out to Kentucky Lake, you know, the infamous ledge fishing where you're setting out on the edge of the river channel, you know, fishing the ledges out to, you know, Clear Lake and, and the Delta in California to Champlain in New York to Minnesota. I mean, it, it is applicable regardless of where you go and I feel that it is a year-round target but also especially right around the spawn you know those fish depending upon the water clarity they are going to seek out shallow water relative to the amount of sunlight uh, that is able to penetrate that water so anytime that you have an area to where it comes up they're able to get in shallow those what we call main lake fish uh, they're going to use those as as a target area to to do their business that is good stuff. Aaron, we got a great question this week, and it comes from one of your buddies you met up in Pennsylvania in February. He wants to know, when you get a chance, can you give your thoughts on braided line? Sometimes I see you use it, and then you go back to 17-pound monofilament. Also, if using braid, should I use a leader? And he says, thanks again, and that's Robert from Carlisle, Pennsylvania. That is a great question, Robert. And, uh, yes, you are right. You have seen me make the switch back and forth. One of the things that I'll say about braided line, obviously, very, very, very little stretch. 
it comes through vegetation because it cuts it. Uh, so that is one of the reasons why it's very, very effective in vegetation, plus just the tensile strength. You know, a lot of times we're using 50, 80 pound braid in that heavy matted vegetation. Uh, the downside to braid is, is because it has no stretch, um, you know, it's, it's not a, a high choice or a high probability for me when I'm using baits with multiple hooks, meaning treble hooks. And the reason being is because, as you know, when those bass hook up on a, let's say, a crankbait or a jerkbait or something, you can literally pull those smaller hooks out because a lot of times you have them skin hooked, you know, un unlike a jig or a Texas rig bait that has a big single, you know, wide gap hook in it to where you're actually going to penetrate all the way through and it's going to protrude out the other side of the jaw. Uh, treble hooks are not, not that way. So you really want to make sure that you have a little bit of that stretch in there so that you're not yanking, you know, the hooks out. As far as the using a leader, I love to use a leader on a spinning reel. And again, one of the reasons why I like to use braid on a spinning reel, because if I'm fishing very deep, like with a drop shot, I'm going to have that extra sensitivity, no stretch. So if I'm catching those fish deep, you know, when you're basically trying to set the hook, you're going to get good hook penetration also, it's going to prohibit those those nasty line twists that we talk about. And a lot of times, I'll just tie six or an eight-pound liter of fluorocarbon. Kind of helps with uh, the transparency, the visibility of that line in that clearer water. But as far as me going back to you know 17-pound test, a lot of times I'll use that with a jig or a Texas rig when there's not a tremendous amount of vegetation, or when I'm fishing around wood. Because the downside to braid is, although it cuts through vegetation, guess what? It also cuts through wood. So if you rub that up against a log or a lay down or a piece of brush, uh, it's going to cut in and, and you get a lot of hang-ups and stuff like that. So great question, Robert, and uh, appreciate that. Well, I know you keep all three loaded up on your, all three types of lines loaded up on reels in your boat, and there's a lot of applications, and uh, that's good stuff. Good to hear from Robert. Didn't make it to Pennsylvania, but uh, I know you had a great time up there. I'll tell you what, Aaron, I'm anxious to hear what Mark Tucker has to say. Uh kind of a follow-up on our wacky spring weather talk. So let's slip away for a minute and come back and visit with Mark Tucker. Finally, a safe and convenient way to access any trailer boat. Introducing the new Flex Step by MegaWare Keelguard. Forget climbing over the sides ever again. Mount a Flex Step on the side of your trailer for easy access to rod lockers and tackle compartments with no boarding. Or bolt the high-quality aluminum Flex Step to your trailer's tongue and enter your craft without ever getting wet again. Completely flexible, great for cleaning windshields, and the hollow tube doubles as a storage area. Available at major marine centers or learn more via the web. This is Michael Murphy, and you're fishing with Bass Edge. All right, welcome back on the Edge, and as indicated, our next guest is BASS Elite Pro Angler, and that is Mr. Mark Tucker. Mark, thanks so much uh, once again for being part of the Edge. Thanks for having me back on the air, Aaron. I, I'm glad to be back at Bass Edge. Well, you know, you just came off of a uh, a fantastic finish uh, there this this past weekend, but you had some some challenging weather conditions to to deal with, and really, I think it was the second week of a, in a row that you know you guys had a day of the tournament that was actually canceled due to weather, didn't you? Correct. It was, uh, you know, and it was a safety issue for both the marshals and the pros. You know, I mean, the Dardanelle one was a little. You know, it was a little iffy. Uh, we should, I mean, I would have really liked to got the fish at Dardanelle. I mean, I think we could have, 
we could have got out there and fished, and they elected to cancel that one. But the one at Wheeler, you know, you, you had a, a west wind blowing against the river current, which makes it just that much more rougher. I mean, anytime you got wind direction going against uh, heavy current, it makes it, you know, five times worse. Well, and I think you hit the nail on the head, Mark, when you said it best. You know, there's there's safety issues that always have to come into consideration. And, you know, when that happens prior to an event, you know, the right calls are normally made. Um, but there are days to which, you know, we as anglers, we get out on the water and maybe that weather uh, takes a change in direction while we're actually out on the water. And sometimes that can actually help the bite, but other times it, it can hinder that. And I was wondering if you could put that in perspective for us as far as, you know, give us some of the, the little uh, things that you do to try and salvage a day uh, when it didn't turn out quite like you had planned. Well, Aaron, you know as well as I do that you get out on the water and you really have to watch the sky, you know, and, and, and being outdoors all the time, a lot of guys, you know, you can tell when it's going to get real bad. And the biggest thing is, is really take your time handling the boat to, and, and try to Try to look at the GPS and, you know, try to coordinate which area of the lake would be best to fish in, in, in whichever way the wind direction's blowing to, because it's going to be hard. You're not going to be able to get out there and fish main lake stuff. You know, you're going to have to really pick your areas prior to launching that day, really watch the weather channel and, and see what you're up against before you launch the boat. And once you're able to do that, are there things, you know, let's say, for instance, um, you know, right here, kind of, you know, approaching, I, I guess, what we would call kind of the spring season uh, across kind of the middle section of the United States. Are there techniques that you employ, bait choices, things like that, that you're going to go to for these type absolutely, of weather conditions? Absolutely, you know, what I'm going to try to look for, and, and, and if we're fishing in the Midwest, we're where we have, you know, more creek channels and, and, and more creeks to fish, I'll try to pick out the creeks that which I think are getting the most sunlight where the fish are, you know, more apt to be a little farther along than on the south side of the lake. You want to fish the north side. If you've got a north wind blowing, you're, you're protected over there. And that's one reason that, that everybody likes to fish the north side of the lake because it's a little more protected from the north wind and the water temperature doesn't drop drastically like it does on the south side where the north wind hits it all day. So are you looking at, let's say, if, for instance, uh, you know, take this this past week that you just fished in the tournament, are you going to go to more moving baits, you know, when the wind kicks up and the clouds move in and maybe the rain is... is... Well, not necessarily. I mean, it all it all goes, you know, the water color, you know, what the water temperature is, what the water color is, and what the primary forage is that, that you think the bass are feeding on. You know, some days, even when it's cloudy and windy, when you think a reaction bait or a crankbait or a jerkbait would work, sometimes I find a jig to work better. So you need to kind of narrow your baits down as, a you know, the choice of the water temperature, the water, you know, the color of the water, and um, and the mood of the fish. You know, if the fish are a little more aggressive, then I'm going to be throwing some more moving baits. But if, if the bite's a little bit lethargic, I'm going to stick with the jig and just fish for five fish, you know. Just try to get quality bites instead of quantity. And what about as far as, you know, when you have a wind situation? Is it better? I certainly know it's it's a little bit easier to control the boat movement 
you know, pointing into the wind. It's not causing you, you know, to run 100 miles an hour down through a, a stretch of bank that you're trying to fish. But what about, what do you think the fish's advice is on that? You know, do they like to see the bait being presented with the well, wind or the current? You know, it's, it, it depends. If I'm practicing for an event, I don't mind fishing with the wind because I don't want to hit every little spot if I'm getting bites. I'm, I want to... I want to skip an area 20, 30, 40 yards long and then move back in. So when I'm practicing for an event, I don't mind fishing with the wind. But during competition, most of the time, I'm going to try to stick the nose of my boat into the wind. And and that way, you know, it doesn't always work because sometimes you're sitting out there in two and three foot rollers and there's just no possible way to do that. But if I can get by with going into the wind, I'd much rather... I would much rather throw into the wind and bring the bait with with the wind and uh, just more of a natural presentation. Not all times works that way. Um, For instance, this week at Wheeler, I had an area where I was throwing a crankbait down current and reeling it back up current. And it was one of the only times that that I've really been able to do that and, and catch quality fish. And I don't know if there was an eddy there, a big eddy or what, but if I threw the bait up current and brought it with the current, I couldn't get bit. But if I threw it down current and reeled it up current, they would clobber it. So, you know, you have to try different things all, you know, the whole time while you're out there fishing. Well, I, I think that's great advice, Mark. And, you know, we've kind of reached our time limit here. But one thing I do want to get a closing thought on before we get out of here, and that is just, you know, when you get in a rough water situation, thunderstorms and, and you know, kind of that those situations to where we can all cringe when we get caught in that in the water, right. you know, what's your advice? The best thing I would recommend is, is picking an area that has facilities to get out from the weather. You know, either be around a big marina, someplace close, you know, to where if, if hail or lightning starts striking, you can get inside a marina quick as to be opposed, you know, 20 miles from anything. Certainly that's the case. And, you know, when you're making a cast and there's lightning going on, there's nothing like having a big lightning rod it's sticking scary. up. And, yeah, it is very scary. So, Mark, once again, thanks so much. We wish you the best of luck at your upcoming tournament. And uh, congratulations on last week. And we look forward to talking with you again in the near future. Thank you, Aaron. And thanks for all the listeners at Bass Edge. Now you can order Bass Edge Seasons 1 and 2 on DVD. Own the best resource for tips and techniques in bass fishing is host Aaron Martin tackles lakes across the country with the industry's top pro anglers, including Edwin Evers, Boyd Duckett, Alton Jones, and Pam Martin-Wells. The two sets include all 25 episodes with never-before-seen footage, over three hours of bonus pro angler interviews, bloopers, and highlights. Each two-disc set is just $19.95. Call 1-888-390-8780 or order online at BassEdge.com. Well, Steve, certainly we've said this before, but, uh, you know, unfortunately that is all the time that we have. But uh, we'll be back again next week. But before we get out of here, why don't you tell us who we have up? Oh, man, it's going to be a good show next week. We've got FLW Pro Terry Baxley, and he's going to visit with us about how to make the most out of fishing in clear water. Well, be sure and join us for this show. Uh, And as always, we are seen each and every week on the Outdoor Channel where Bass Edge is on three times weekly at 8 a.m. on Thursdays, 9 a.m. on Fridays, and Saturday afternoons at 2.30 all Eastern time. 
For the latest Bass Edge information, merchandise, and for an opportunity to win prizes and ask the pro questions, be sure and log on to BassEdge.com. For Steve Brigman, I am Aaron Martin, and we look forward to seeing you again next week right here on The Edge. This week's edition of Bass Edge's The Edge has been brought to you by B&W Trailer Hitches, Ditch Witch, Mega Air Keel Guard, O'Reilly Auto Parts, and Legend Boats. For more information on Bass Edge, including our television show, training materials, e-newsletter, and podcast, please visit www.bassedge.com. Be sure to join us next week on The Edge. <laughs>